You can see my award-winning climate comedy show spoilers at a festival near you, provided you live near or are going to McHuncliffe or Wells Comedy Festivals. More dates added soon near you, conceivably, who knows what might happen. And if you are at Mac, come and see ComCom Redacted live at 4pm on the Saturday. Go to stuartgoldsmith.com and click the very attractive banner image to find out more. Support comes from ServiceNow, the AI platform for business transformation. You've heard the hype around AI. The truth is... AI is only as powerful as the platform it's built into. ServiceNow is the platform that puts AI to work for people across your business, removing friction and frustration for your employees, supercharging productivity for your developers, providing intelligent tools for your service agents to make customers happier, all built into a single platform you can use right now. That's why the world works with ServiceNow. Visit servicenow.com slash AI for people to learn more. Hello and welcome to the show. I'm Stuart Goldsmith. Today I am talking to Johnny Pelham, who is, I mean, he's just... He's just brilliant. I love him. I love him. He is, what have I said in the show notes? He's disarmingly hilarious. And this is, this is a good point. For those of you that don't read the show notes, this is me using the show notes as a script. There is a big difference between what we think of as, what I think of as leather-jacketed comedians saying the unsayable and actually being able to find the humanity and the authenticity in a subject that people don't want to talk about. We're going to talk about Johnny's new Edinburgh Fringe show, Optimism Over Despair, um, and he's going to talk to us about the experience at the core of that show, which which is sort of his reflections over using his set on Live at the Apollo to discuss the sexual abuse that he experienced as a child. So this episode comes with a, a colossal trigger warning. There will be discussion of child sexual abuse that Johnny suffered um, and that he manages to talk about on stage in an incredibly candid and disarming and frank kind of a way and make it funny. He is, uh, I mean, it's genuinely pretty breathtaking I'm not going to say it's moving. It is moving, but that isn't the point of it. It's just astonishing to see someone take such a horrible experience and be able to unearth real kind of universal truths and humanity and big, big punchlines from it. It's quite it's a staggering achievement. But this this episode, as I say, I just want to reiterate it couldn't come with more of a trigger warning. We're going to also talk. We talk about his maladaptive daydreaming and we're going to talk about what it's like to always come with a trigger warning. So all of that stuff to come. Um, There are 20 minutes of extras available uh, if you're in the Insiders Club, um, including Johnny on a joke that he's always found too dark to make work. At the time of recording this, I haven't yet decided whether I'm going to I may end up editing out the joke itself, but I'll leave all the discussion around it because it is too dark. Um, But uh, we're also going to talk about how to make biographical work what you want it to be and how to make the personal political. This is a really enthralling episode of the podcast with a very, very funny person. I highly recommend that extra content as well. Um, Let's get stuck into this with his new show, Optimism Over Despair, at the Edinburgh Festival, just coming up any second now. This is Johnny Pelham. You asked me how I was just before we started recording and I gave a very hesitant answer that was kind of centred around the I'm really in the pit of prep for Edinburgh at the moment. We're recording this mid-May 
and I'm at the section where you can't imagine that you'll ever have a funny show. And you intimated you might be in a similar sort of process. Exactly in that stage where it just you it just feels so far away from being anything. It's just there's so many problems. It feels like the whole show is a problem, and then there's loads of little problems within that big problem. And it's like, <laughs> God, I've got so many problems to solve. How am I, <laughs> how the hell am I going to do this? I should only ever record this podcast in mid-May when people are at their most vulnerable. I think this is the perfect time to talk to you, right? Well, it's definitely that you'll get the real honest, you'll get the real the fear. You know what I mean? Like, like people, I mean, sometimes, I guess in like September, people are speaking from a place of confidence and sort of reflection. Whereas yes. in May, they're speaking with a real sense of panic in their eyes, aren't they? <laughs> and I saw, your, I saw your show at uh, the Machantleth Comedy Festival. I can pronounce that word, and for some reason I tripped over it, the Machantleth Comedy Festival. Um, and I, I just thought it was absolutely brilliant. I spoke to you very briefly afterwards, and I want to talk to you about it. it but the first thing is, I suppose it amazes me that with a show that was as up and running as that show was, you are in a place now of feeling like it's a big problem full of little problems. I feel like it's fascinating you thought that McCunliffe show, I can't say it, (laughs) 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 was good because I left feeling really like freaked out after that. Because I think what became, I know I don't, I think I've got a clearer idea now than I did then. But well, McCunliffe, I was like, I have no idea what this show is about or why I'm saying any of the things I'm saying, really. Okay. And now I feel like I've got slightly closer to knowing what it's about. Okay. Well, that um... happened two days ago. <laughs> <laughs> it's it a very exciting time to be alive. <laughs> um, one of the things I loved about the show was that you were, and we'll talk about content in the middle, because as soon as we start talking about content, it's, yeah. it's the beginning of a thorny <laughs> path, right? Um But one of the things I loved is that I felt you were being as honest in in a sort of an appraisal of yourself and the things you thought, what what was going through your mind, all the things you were describing. I felt like you were being as honest as you would have been in the green room before walking on. Do you know what I mean? I felt like it was an amazingly um, kind of intimate and sort of, but matter of fact, it had a certain kind of frankness. I just felt like, oh, Johnny is just saying exactly what Johnny thinks. And I, I like. I suppose what I'm talking about is authenticity. I felt like, oh, you're as real there as when I'm talking to you right now or after your show or, or what have you. And I, I just, like that, I suppose, watching it as a comic, I was like, oh, God, that is just proper. That's just proper. And also it's got as many punchlines as one would hope for and expect in a comedy show. It's yeah, not yeah. just a chat. But, but like the platform upon which all the jokes are built is just sort of unflinching honesty. Well, I think... That's all I know how to do, really. Do you know what I mean? Like, I, I feel like I don't know how to... I I think how I write shows is just to think about what's happened in my life and then try and tell the audience that. Do you know what I mean? In a very yeah. basic level. And I feel like I'm... Like, I really... I think when I started coming out, I really thought I'd like to do, like, real big premises and, like... real. And then, actually, I'm just not that good at that. And I can just talk about myself quite interestingly, hopefully. You know what I mean? Yes, definitely. I think that's one of the that's one of the big journeys that we're all on is when we and like I mean that's a whole podcast in itself. Who did you think you were gonna be? And yeah, how yeah. does that change? Like how and has it changed once you had to accept that you are who you are? Everyone wants to be the different comic, don't they? Do you know what I mean? Like everyone's doing what they're doing thinking this is crap. Why can't I just do something more interesting? <laughs> definitely. So what was the comic that you wanted to be? 
what was the comic what was the comic that you a that you wanted to be and b that you could you could reasonably expect that you would be i guess um i really liked quite dark stuff that was like um letting the audience into your sort of slightly warped fucked up brain and then we're twisting it with logic and things like that and so i guess someone i know him well now so if you ever found out i talked about on the podcast it'd be it'd be awful but someone like bobby mayer do you know yeah. what i mean where it's like he, he takes you into his brain but then he, there's so many like logic leaps and warped thinking and it just gets this really interesting space where he's saying incredibly dark things but in a way that You've, he's got you to that dark space and it all makes sense. Does that make yeah. sense? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so you thought, you thought you'd be more like that? Yeah, and I guess I... Cause he, and he's more logic. It's more like logic leaps, whereas I just feel like I just have to tell the audience what's happening in my life that day. <laughs> yeah, you do, you do. But, you, I mean, they're both, they're both great skill sets. And one of the things that is really interesting and fun about yours is it's almost... I, I think there, there, I, there are odd little moments of that. I recognise that in my own stuff sometimes. I think... Oh, that's that is an ambiguous or funny thought. And if I can just say it in the mm. right way, that will be funny without it necessarily being a joke. Yeah, 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 yeah. Can you give me an example of one of those sorts of things for you? Or like or, or, or like a first time you noticed that you were like, oh, oh, that's curious. I've just said I've just said this and it's funnier than the, the joke I've been planning. Well, there's still. Jokes, so I very rarely. I guess what what I always think is I always think that um, I try if I feel if I'm feeling something about something then I feel like I should probably talk about it on stage or like that, that it will be funny. Do you know? Does that make sense? So I sort of feel like if I'm when I'm writing, if I I don't really know what I'm saying here. Um, I guess I, I I always sorry I'm not talking I'm not. Say the no, question it's fine, again. It's fine. What, what I'll do with the edit is I'll take yeah. out all of the sensible stuff you say and I'll just leave in all the thinking. Yeah. <laughs> that would be a really good like advert from the podcast. It's just a series of short clips of comedians oh. going, what am I talking about? Yes, you know, just, yes, that would be good. I should do that. I should do that. That's a good, that's a fun edit job that I will not do personally. But yeah, get all the bits where people are like, God, um, oh, I don't know, like that. Those, that's that's yeah. the stuff we're looking for. So yeah. I suppose what I'm asking for is kind of... Um, uh, an, an example, if you, if if you can sort of get one at your fingertips, and that may be hard, but an example of a moment when you have maybe surprised yourself by finding that you just talking about some feelings you've had was funnier than a joke. I'm thinking maybe kind of early days, like you plan a joke and then the thing you say, like, I mean, I, I feel like I recognise that's happened to me. I think it's happened to a lot of people. You're going in planning a joke which yeah, is yeah. you're a newer comic is not necessarily a very good joke. And you sort of offhandedly say something that simply describes the truth of who you are. And that gets the reaction. And you're like, oh, fuck, that was the joke. Well, that, I mean, I can't think of a specific example, but I guess what I can say, there's so many, so much of being an open mic comic is that. You come up with your joke, then you say it and it bombs, and then you go, that doesn't work. And then, you, and then what I'll often do is I'll explain, and I just explain why it hasn't worked or why... And I might say something like, well, that's not work because it's too dark and you don't like me and I'm actually quite a nice person. Oh, you know what I mean? I would just commentate on the joke. Um, and Because I don't think... I, it took me a while to realise that I didn't have to like write everything, like type everything out meticulously and, and get off script. Because when I first started, I was so... 
I was just so on script for everything. Okay. I've just watched some of, I just watched a bit of your uh, Chortle Student Award yeah, set yeah, yeah. from like 11 or 12 years ago or something. Yeah, that's mad. It's mad that that's, <laughs> like, what a weird man that guy is. <laughs> you signed away your life and he'll have it forever. Um, that, it, you know, it's, it's, it's written. It's written, yeah. but it also, and it's jokes, but it's also true. Do you know what yeah. I mean? It's like that stuff, the, the opening stuff about um, my my face was so unimaginably grotesque that it was inconceivable anyone with this face could have been happy. <laughs> like, do you know what I mean? Like that, you're yeah, into yeah. that in the first minute. Yeah. Well, I think that's what I was saying earlier, is you don't choose what you write. And I just always write personally. And I think when I go away from that, I end up just not being as interesting or as funny. Yeah, right. Um, and like, I'm just not very good at writing jokes about like Donald Trump or whatever because it just doesn't sure. interest me. Whereas I just, I'm just a narcissist, I guess, too. So <laughs> like me, who am I? Let's <laughs> tell everyone. <laughs> and what's what's really interesting about that joke, as it does, is to do with kind of you getting uh, uh, f- facial surgery of some sort on the NHS. Yeah. So when I was like 16, the NHS, I had an underbite, and so the NHS offered me surgery on my jaw. Okay. And it was purely aesthetic surgery that they were willing to pay for. So it's one of the first bits I wrote. Is like you know you're unattractive when the NHS are like we'll pay for you to look better. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> but that's but that's a lovely. That's it's a really good kind of emblematic joke of of one of the things you're very good at, which is that kind of like looking at a thing from a different perspective which reveals a you know in inverted commas truth yeah yeah about yeah, yeah. it just kind of going what so this has happened what does that mean if i stepped to, to the side and looked at it what does that mean and yeah, i think yeah, that's yeah. something that you're very good at finding and well, that's interesting i i wouldn't think of myself in that way so that's nice of you to say what do you th- in what way do you think of yourself what do you think are your strengths as a comic it's very early on in the interview for me to be saying, come on, tell us all why you think you're good. <laughs> um, I guess what I think is I can talk about stuff that most people don't want to talk about uh, in a quite a matter-of-fact way and and find the humour in it, if that makes... Does that make sense? Yeah. Um, and so I think I'm able to take... And it, also it's what... It, I, it's what I want to write about. I mean, that, the thing I realize about my comedy is, is that like, I I figure out who I am through writing shows in a very real way. So um, how my brain works is, I'm incredibly avoidant about my feelings or how I'm, or what's going on in my life. And then it's like this show I'm writing now. I figured out so much about the last four, three years of my life through writing it. And I'm able to be like, oh, that's why all that was happening. And so for me, it's such a... It, like, writing shows is my way of just going, oh, this is who I am. Does that make sense? Without one sound too much like a wanker. Yeah. So that's- <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk about your Mac show, because your Mac show was a reflection on those last three years, and more specifically, the reaction to the show that preceded it. Yes. So, so let's get into that path and we can discuss part of me almost because what we're about to talk about, the crux of what we're about to talk about is so weighty. And yeah, I'm going to yeah. let you say it in your own words. Um, but almost part of me kind of almost wanted to do the whole interview without mentioning that at all, yeah, just because yeah. it might be nice for you to not have to fucking mention it. But I think is, that that might be part of what we're talking about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Well, I, I, so I guess my 2019 show was about uh, suffering from child sexual abuse, which is quite heavy. Uh, and then in, I did that show and it went all right. And then, uh, and then my current show is about doing Live at the Apollo about that topic and then realising that that was not uh, a good decision for me. Yeah. Um, and and so, I'm, so that's what the new show is about, is realising that was overexposing and wasn't actually a safe thing for me to do. Um, and so that's, but then I figured so much of that out writing the show, because I started the, sh- the show in like January and I was sort of thinking about maybe stopping doing comedy and thinking, I don't know if this is for me. And then I've written the show and then a lot of stuff has made sense to me now where I'm like, oh, that's why I was feeling a bit shit. Uh, and the good thing is I'm really loving doing comedy again because I, I just, I don't think I would have figured any of this out had I not written this show, really. Okay, so had you had you stopped for longer, had you kind of thought, actually, I'm done here, as you were having some of those feelings, yeah. had you not then pushed yourself to go, I'll try and write my way through this, you wouldn't have had the insight from it. That must be quite satisfying. It is, and but I think what's nice and frustrating is that I, if I'd have to have written this show, I think if I'd just written stand-up about anything else I wouldn't have I because there's something about me that finds writing these sorts of shows really helpful and cathartic and interesting and enjoyable um whereas I don't particularly find writing other stuff that enjoyable or not not enjoyable but I'm just not as good at it as it and it doesn't hold my interest in the same way yeah and so so the the current show what is your current show called what's this year's it's called optimism over despair uh, which isn't over. really a title that makes sense. Uh, <laughs> um, and it was, and so it, so it is all about that. It's about me realising that doing Apollo was too exposing and too vulnerable. And I sort of knew that, uh, but I just knew it as an idea that I hadn't interrogated at all. And because mm-hmm. how I deal with it, I just, I, don't, I just look away from it. You know what I mean? And like avoid thinking about it. And then when you're forced to write sure about it, you're forced to look into the nooks and crannies of it and figure a lot of your last, who you are, like what's going on for you through just writing the show and going, oh, that led to that, led to that, and that's why I feel like this. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's definitely, a, and yeah, it's definitely, a, for me, writing is a way of sort of working out what's been happening for me. Yes. And was it, it was specifically talking about the child sexual abuse that you survived. Is that the right terminology, that you survived it? Yeah, you... yeah. I mean, I don't, no, I think so, probably. I'm not very good <laughs> at knowing, like, what the right, languages no you're not in a club <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah um so is was it specifically the talking about it at the apollo that had the fallout rather than talking about it in that previous edinburgh show yes it was and i i'm still trying to quite figure out why that is i think it's something about the form being seven minutes on a shiny stage on bbc2 and, and people are consuming it in such a different way. I mean, the, the content's different. You know, there was an hour show with nuance and mm. complexity and ambiguity. And then that um, becomes seven or ten minutes on BBC Two that people are watching MasterChef. And then mm-hmm. and, and there was something about, I think it, I felt like it wasn't... And when it was too explosive, of people came up to me afterwards and started talking to me about their own experience, which was discombobulating. And two, it was... Uh, it didn't feel like I didn't feel like a proper comic somehow. Do you know what I mean? Like that that got in my head is this idea that it was sort of my trauma. And the thing is, I don't think I think that's true to some extent. Like that we live in an uh, in a 
society and an industry which is uh, privileges people. Oh, well, well, I guess we live in an industry which is looking that can commercialize trauma in a unhelpful. Really, I think that's really well put. Yeah. Way. Yeah. And and then me figuring out what I've done through that and like was what I was doing because when I mean when I was writing these jokes initially, I was coming out of therapy. And I was writing them, you know, just at like Angel or whatever the hell, you know, like just a little comedy club. And it felt very powerful and, and very helpful. And I felt like I was taking ownership over something of my life that and, and, and making people laugh. It felt very healing. And then there was just something about then you you do that on Live at the Apollo and you suddenly you feel like this is just too weird. Like it's just, you know what I mean? It just doesn't feel like the right space anymore somehow. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So talk to me about talk to me about the the building of that first show because I think the difference the difference in those two contexts is so so different and I think you're exactly right that it is it is possible to commercialize trauma like and that doesn't I think that's a good way of putting it because I think that doesn't put a value judgment on yeah, that yeah, at all yeah. it's simply one of the processes whether it's a dead dad show or whatever else you know people and and someone actually i was i i had a long uh car journey with a great comic and diamond car share louise lee recently <laughs> and she was talking about i hope it's all right with her that i i passed this on i don't see why it wouldn't be she was saying that the way in which you do car, i was saying i had you coming up on the show she said the way in which you have made your comedy of late um, is similar to the way in which a lot of women make comedy, whereby yeah, yeah. there is it is it is a platform. I, I don't want to misrepresent what she said. I think her observation was it's like the platform is a traumatic experience I have suffered at the hands of men or the mm. world, you know, circumstance one way or another, and you are kind of working through how best to talk about it and make it palatable in inverted commas not that it mm. can be palatable but you, your your reactions to it can be acceptable and can be heard and be laughed at in a mainstream context in a way that a lot of male comics it might not be helpful to to gender it but you know people who have not been exposed to traumas of that kind of level can simply do jokes about I was going to say rainbows and butterflies, but mostly it's trans people, isn't it? Um, but, uh, you know what I mean? Like people who can just do jokes about anything, people who can do jokes whereby they pontificate about a subject that does not affect yeah, yeah. their life at all beyond, oh, that might be interesting for a joke. Yeah, 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 yeah. I think that's really, and that's sort of what I wanted to do going into when I started comedy. You know what I mean? But like, I mean, even you look at like that chortle clip you mentioned, that's still rooted in, lived experience and my lived experience mm. and that was like it's crazy i all that stuff was like the first five minutes of comedy i ever wrote because it was and like it, so it just came out of me and it, and it is like that's still what it is now really it's like when i when i try because sometimes i get into something like i need to write a bit i need to write a bit about penguins or whatever you know what i mean like <laughs> and then Actually, then I, and I, it's just shit. It's just, you know, it's just me talking about penguins pointlessly. So, like, there is, but there is an ability. And I think what it, what I, the, the, the psychological reason I think it is good for me to do that is because it holds my attention to something that I probably need to process that I just wouldn't think about in any other context. Uh, and, and that is helpful for me to work through because I, I'm like, I'm very disassociative as a human being. So what that looks like on a day-to-day basis is like, 
I have a very active imagination. So say I was to like be walking past a bus, say, like, I mean, this happened to me the other day. I was walking past a bus. There was a picture of um, Barack Obama on the bus for whatever reason, I don't know why. And I just spent an hour walking home imagining what it'd be like to interview Barack Obama. And that was how I just spent my whole hour was just imagine what it'd be like, different contexts, different wow. scenarios. And so for that's where my brain wants to do, particularly when it's stressed or anxious. It just wants to take me away from the world. And, and it can be anything. I mean, the other day I did it about squirrel. I saw a squirrel and I just imagined being a squirrel for a bit. So it's like my brain just wants to go like out away. Yeah. And so, and that, that's why I don't really feel my feelings very clearly because I'm not, like I can have a big argument with my girlfriend or anyone and I'll leave and not even think about it for ages. You know what I mean? Okay. So it's like writing comedy helps me, grounds me in the world to go actually what was going on there for that year in some way. Okay, yes. What's the relationship, do you think, between your habit of thinking about a squirrel for an hour <laughs> and and your creativity? Like, is that, you know, you might think, oh, that'd be really good for creativity because you can lose yourself in your imagination. But is it? Is it good for... Because it doesn't sound like you write whimsical stuff about squirrels. Like, no, do I you... Think it's... I think it's bad because I can't control it. It's what I have is something called maladaptive daydreaming. It's like the the if you were to diagnose it, um, which you know maybe that's helpful, maybe that's not. But uh, and what people say it's like you're a drug dealer, but you're also the supply. You're a drug addict, but you're also the supplier of the drug. Okay. You know what I mean? So you so I can do it any time. And I think what the problem with it is is that I I, I can't control it. Mm-hmm. So it's not so like it's nice if I could dip in and dip out and use it as like what it can just take over and I just live there. You know what I mean? Do you know that you're doing it? Is there, is there a part of you thinking, uh, should I keep thinking about this squirrel for now? Just to use a reductive example. I know why I'm doing it. And I, I think this is what I think I do. Is it, it's more enjoyable to me than most of... It's re- I really enjoy doing it. Do you know what okay. I mean? Like, like, it's like it's really fun just to look out the window and just have a, a daydream about something random is more okay. fun than thinking shit i need to write a joke for my edinburgh show okay <laughs> I mean, <that's> <laughs> sure but and, and is it is it always inherently unproductive has anything from one of those long daydreams made it into a show or improved your life in any way or is it simply like you've kind of switched off you've had a fun time but you might as well have been on vr playing video games every therapist i've ever been to see was trying to get me to reconcile this part of myself into like him and i just <laughs> i hate him <laughs> like, like literally can you see the positives in your disassociative pattern maybe it makes you creative would you be a stand-up if you weren't able to do this sure. and i always leave the session going no <laughs> in, in my defense really I, think I, I think i'm arguing the opposite point i'm saying surely oh, really? there must be something you can get out of that that's useful fuck <laughs> it's too it is too it's too i think almost i uh, I've never thought this before, but I think it's probably true, is that if I was to try and make it productive, it would instantly die. Do you yes. know what I mean? Like, like if yes. I was to try and use that part of my brain where I was able to go, how can we turn this into a thing? Then it's oh, the daydream ends there because it's no longer just disassociative flight of fancy. Sure. Um, uh, yeah. Is it, some, is it something that you regard as something that needs to be cured? Or do you think to yourself, well, if I get stuck in a lift, I'll be fine? Because I've got. <laughs> <laughs> well, both, I think, somehow. Like, I think I, at the moment I've given up on therapy for a bit, which I don't know if I'll give up on therapy forever, but I just can't be fucked to it at the moment. I just can't be asked going back and back and back. Um, and I think there's something in that about 
self-acceptance. And I, I'm trying to like stand up about this, like literally now in my life, is about how part of me feels like self-acceptance is the ultimate form of giving up. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> like, like to accept who you are is just a disaster. Because like I get, life is about self-creation and about self-improvement and about changing who you are for the better. And pitting and, yourself against things. Yeah, 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 yeah. And if you just go, yeah, I'm fine. Then and also, so I think and also like when I was 25, this isn't a, about comedy at all now. Sorry if this is too off, uh, and it's just a chat about my life. But like when I was 25, I was living in a squat. Uh, I never had sex as an adult. I my career wasn't really going anywhere. And had I accepted my life at that point, that would have been a massive mistake. You know what I mean? Like I needed to go to therapy and figure shit out and and change patterns of behaviour that weren't working for me. And I feel like I'm at that stage now where I can't decide whether I need to like do all that again, go back into therapy, wrestle with it all again, try and integrate trauma into my body so I'm able to live joyfully and meaningfully and happily, or whether I just think I'm fine, this is enough. Yeah. You know what I mean? And like, how do you know which is the right answer out of those two? Yeah, yeah. You just <laughs> I, I remember someone someone used this expression to me. It's all very well. You don't want to self-actualize so much that you just become a little ping pong ball. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah, that is interesting. So where where you come down on that at the moment is you feel like I'm like have you, are you pretty happy in life? Are you kind of content with where you're at? You know and- what I've realized, and this is I realized this two days ago, is that doing stand up again is making me happy, which is a really nice thing to realize, and that's. What I've really, I, so I feel like I went, I, I don't like comedy after being too exposed on Apollo. It was stupid. I'm stupid. And then I, I, but I, didn't, I didn't feel those things. I just, I didn't even know I was thinking that. You yeah, know what I mean? Okay. Like, uh, and then I, I got on a bit of writing work, just writing scripts. And I was like, right, I'll do that. And this will be what I do now. And then I was, and I, I, hadn't, I didn't like stop doing comedy. So it was, I still had gigs, but I just wasn't. I wasn't able to write new stuff because I wasn't in a funny space. None of the stuff I did in my 2019 show I could do in clubs. Yeah. So I was just doing like crazy old bits of material. You know what I mean? Like a sort of, you're one of those comics who's been doing it like 40 years yeah. and hates themselves, their wives normally and the audience. And so I felt like I was just like, and wasn't doing well because I just wasn't. So then you're just doing bad gigs for not that much money, not doing well at them, thinking this is awful. Uh, and more and more thinking of quitting. And then writing this new show has made me go, oh, there's loads of energy in this new show and I, I'm enjoying doing it. And so it's, and that's, what's, that, that's what I've realised. I think this new show is going to be a sort of love letter to stand-up at the moment anyway, and about how stand-up gave me my meaning and, my, and my, the thing I love about stand-up is that I can articulate these things and I can make people laugh. And that's sort of what the show is at the moment. It's going, I thought therapy would figure me out but actually now i sort of think i'm done with therapy at least a bit and i'm just gonna i just love doing stand-up again mm. um, and that's because you get your meaning for your engagement with the world don't you and how i engage with the world is through doing stand-up really isn't it amazing how in the creation of a show we go through different phases of knowing what the show's about yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. and then you like you learn oh no it's actually about that and yeah. then you learn oh, no, fuck, it's been about that the whole time and I didn't know. I mean, there are presumably echoes of a therapeutic journey with that, you know, the kind of self-realisation or kind of, you know, just different understandings, paradigm shifts of the self. (laughs) I think I should ring a bell for the most pretentious thing I've said this week. (laughs) 
Paragon Township is a great sentence. It would be Fantas- a good self-help book. You know what I mean? Yes. If you were sort of like smoothing into different, you could, yes. you could market that. Story. Or a good show title for an Edinburgh show, but only one that was about the preposterousness of... Uh... Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, one of the things I'm... Here, here, I'm going to flip this around now. Help me. Help me with a thing I'm doing. Yeah, I'm, yeah, yeah. I'm writing a show about stuff that's difficult to talk about. I'm writing about the climate crisis at the moment. Yeah, and I've just had a really good conversation this morning with Tim Batt. I don't know if you know Tim. Have you been to New Zealand? Have you done no, the, no. the So Tim Batt is a brilliant, brilliant comic in New Zealand, and uh, I like the way his mind works. And I basically had a Zoom chat with him so that I could get him to do what I do to people. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I think the reason I bring it up is I'm in this kind of sludgy state at the moment where with this show where I'm like, I know this can work. I don't mm. know why I know that, but I have an instinct it could work. And I am absolutely doing paradigm shifts of going, oh, I thought it was a show about the climate crisis. And then I thought it was a show about being angry about the climate crisis. Then I think, no, actually, it's a show about eco-anxiety or eco-dread. Yeah, and yeah. then I think it's a show where I have to try and cure everyone's eco-dread. And yeah. as a result of this conversation this morning, I've just gone, no, I don't have to do that. I just, I, I might know that that's what's important to me. Yeah. But I don't have to cure anyone or do yeah, anything. Yeah, yeah, do you know yeah. what I mean? I think I've been trying to solve the climate crisis single-handedly <laughs> whilst being funny. And it's been this absurd, yeah. impossible kind of a challenge. With your work, have you gone through similar phases in talking about the abuse that you suffered where you felt something greater on your shoulders than simply you telling your story? Yeah. I mean, I think that's... Um... And I think the great lie I told myself was that through telling my story and politicizing my story and my trauma, I was healing from it. In a, in, and I think that was that was the the mistake I made. You know, I almost thought like, well, if I'm talking about it on Live at the Apollo, then I must be fine. And so there was definitely a sense of like, um, yeah, I really get that because, and I think that the hard thing is, and this is a tension that is still unresolved in me for sure, is talking about it in of itself is already political because no one talks about it. So if you're going to talk about it, you're already sort of entering a world of taboo and uh, and, and and because so much of the politics of it is people not talking about it. You know, it's like I read a stat that it takes people on average 22 years from the time of the abuse to tell anyone. So you going on stages and telling people this happened to me is political in of itself in some way. Mm-hmm. But that and, and so that's a difficult thing, you know, and it's difficult to navigate, isn't it? Because uh, I, I'm really glad to be, and I did a documentary about uh, child sexual abuse. And, and one of the things I was talking about was, how we need to have these conversations. And, and and yet also, because you're talking about it politically, doesn't mean that you're then, you fixed it. No, no. And then you there is, as you kind of alluded to earlier on, there's the the risk, or well, not risk, but there's the possibility that you become a lodestone for people who want to share their story with you. Whereas yeah. like, you, you didn't say, hey, come and tell me all your stories. You just yeah. did your action for you. And that happened a lot. And it was, it was, and I, I never knew because I'm fun at small talk. If someone talks to me in a cafe about the weather, I'm like, oh fuck, this is a nightmare. When <laughs> <laughs> you've just got the heaviest conversations in the world, and often people who've never told anyone, and it was, and so, and it isn't that. I mean, luckily, and I should say, I, I think I, I, 
don't hold any ill will whatsoever towards Apollo for booking me to do it. You know I, mean? so I, I don't feel like it was their um, mistake. But after that, it, there was a few, and luckily it's not really happened that much because you know, it's not got the same cultural resonance in which did Apollo. But it was just that thing of just not feeling safe slightly because someone might just come up to me and tell me something fucking awful when I was about mm. to, uh, you know, in Tesco or whatever. Mm. Um, and not having the skills or the desire or in whatever to know how to quite manage that. Yes. So it's like, it's like, I mean, it's in some small way, it's like after a gig, people come up and talk to you. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. some comics are adept at going, like being assertive and saying, yeah, yeah, yeah. thanks so much. I'm really, I'm just talking to my friend here, but thank you. Yes, and and so yeah. I feel like I'd learned to do that a bit, yeah, yeah, yeah. but it still gives me the ab dabs. You know, I'm still like, yeah. you know, and whereas other people are like, I don't know what to do. Panic, yeah. you grab coat, yeah. run out of room. And I suppose that in a, when it, when you're being, you could be broadsided with it at any time of day. That must've been very strange. It was. And that was, that was the thing that made, I think that was one of the big things. I and then also because I didn't like what I'd done, it was like a loop of going, why the fuck did I do this to myself? Do you know what I mean? And then obviously yeah. it was squirrel quickly. Do you know what I mean? So that yeah, was yeah, the, the yeah. way the brain worked. It was like, <laughs> oh, uncomfortable feeling, difficult conversation, uncomfortable feeling loaded with also self-recrimination avoidance was like the, the pattern of how you dealt, how I dealt with it. Yeah. And then, not processing that and then just going, oh, comedy shit, why am I doing it? Yes, yes. So the so the, the way that you could help alternate universe Johnny Pelham to learn that lesson faster would be would be what? That it was like, oh, you actually need to work out what it is that you're feeling, what it is that you're avoiding. Exactly that. And so as soon as I started writing the show, I was able, I think it's, it's like it's able to put a context on it and go, this is how you're feeling. This is why you're feeling this way. And this is why this is a normal feeling. Now, when I'm writing the show, and, and you know, you're talking about how my show is about me telling the audience stuff. Mm-hmm. I think that's why, because I'm t- telling myself. You know what I mean? Like I'm sort of going, this happened, then this happened, then this happened. That's why you felt weird. And that makes mm-hmm. sense because it was a weird situation. Um, and so I think I am sort of telling myself what, what happened over the last three years, really, in the show. And all of this, I think it's, I sort of want to point out for the benefit of the listener who perhaps hasn't seen your stand-up yet, all of this would be a sort of an interesting voyage into the genuine therapeutic value of comedy if it wasn't also really, really funny. Oh, thank you. So um, it's really funny and you're really funny and you're one of those names who people get excited that you're coming on the podcast because I think you're, I I never know how much people know this, but like you're very well respected as like, oh, fucking hell. Oh, that's nice to hear. Yeah. I have no idea really. You you just don't know, do you really? You don't know. You don't know. But I I think, um, you know, a comic that other comics go to see. That's what buzz is, isn't it? That's how I talk about this (laughs) at the weekend where people go, oh, it's early buzz. You know, there's only one real buzz and it's our comics going to see this show. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, that's that's true, isn't it? it. (laughs) So this is Johnny. Um, 20 minutes more uh, conversation about how to make biographical work what you want it to be in the face of algorithmic soup and what I tend to call comedy by committee. 
Um, that's all on the on the insiders, and also uh, Johnny will dissect and discuss uh, a joke that he has always found too dark to make work. Uh, as I said at the beginning, I may actually bleep the joke itself, but I will leave in all of the dissection and the discussion of it. Really, really interesting stuff, and we'll get back to Johnny in just a second. Johnny is going to be at the Edinburgh Fringe this year. His show is called Optimism Over Despair. I cannot recommend it enough. I saw a kind of mid... Not not quite an early, not quite a late preview at the McCuncliffe Comedy Festival, uh, and it was absolutely brilliant even then. Uh, it's on at 6.50 nightly, not the 14th, at the Pleasance Courtyard, the Pleasance Upstairs. So get along and see that. Um, thank you, those of you that have been um, participating in Spreadsheet Day. You can join the Comedians Comedian Podcast Facebook group if you'd like to see some of the many varied and beautifully glittering and multicoloured and rigorously organised spreadsheets. And here's, here's a top tip. I can't believe I haven't been doing this before. I don't think I've been doing this till now. If you're at the Edinburgh Festival for just a, a quick trip here or there, if you're there for a, a couple of days, or if, like me, you're cramming in extra stuff to the first two weeks because your family arrive halfway through and you turn back into parent mode, um, then I cannot recommend enough just scrolling down the spreadsheet day posts in the, the pin post on the ComCom Facebook group and just nicking people's days wholesale. Just look at it and go, that looks like a great day. I'll do those six things in a row that someone has carefully stage managed and placed in the right venue and, you know, all in one place and all very organised. So I highly recommend it for that. My own show, of course, is called Spoilers. I have, at the time of recording this, I've got three previews left and then... Like Dr. Brown said, like Phil Berger said many years ago on this podcast, and I've never achieved it until now, I'm taking a break. I'm having a holiday for sort of seven or eight days before the fringe so that I arrive rested and ready. And I'll be honest with you, a month ago, I thought that might have been a terrible idea because the thing wouldn't be ready. The last four previews have been glorious. Thank you to everybody that came out in Bristol, in uh, Oxford, um, in Swindon and in Northampton as well. The Charles Bradlaugh for the comedy crate. That was fantastic. I've really, really enjoyed them. I've really got the show where I want it and uh, I can't wait for you to see it. So I've put a bit of a... I'm doing a mail out at the moment. Uh, those of you who are not on the mailing list, you can join it at comedianscomedian.com or indeed stuartgoldsmith.com. One of my... What I do is I write mail outs um, to a specific friend of mine and address it to them and then send it to everyone. So it's much more personal and less spammy. It's a fun little thing that confuses everybody every time I do it, but it is fun. Um, there are some links in there for a specific ask, really, for this year's Edinburgh show. Not only do I want to perform to the hardcore fans that come and see everything I do, not only to the, the, the casuals who come and see me every Edinburgh or the tour audience or what have you, I also really want to perform it to people who work in sustainability, to people who work in climate finance or in uh, eco or green tech um, I really feel that there is a very specific audience out there, part of the plan for the show, as well as just to make scared parents laugh and scared people and, and people generally. Part of the plan, part of the thinking for the show is also to get it in front of people who work in sustainability in whatever way, um, because I think it is a really medicinal approach. It's a really fun thing to show to people um, who are feeling burnt out because their job has them wrangling the climate. And I'm just going to read out to you. I won't attribute this because I haven't asked if I can read it, but someone messaged me. You were so brilliant at the Hen and Chicken last night. Thank you. Effective communication on climate change is bloody difficult and I thought you nailed it. It really resonated. I've worked in climate finance for the last eight years and hopefully using my skills somewhat effectively, but I still get your existential crisis moments all the bloody time. Good luck taking it up to Edinburgh. Thank you, unnamed and unattributed author of that message. 
That's how I feel it's been going. I'm desperate for you to see it. You can find out everything you need at stuartgoldsmith.com uh, and it is at the Monkey Barrel at 3.20 every day, not the 16th throughout the festival. So I very much hope I'll see you there. You know where the extras are. Let's get back to Johnny Pelham. Here he is. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Support comes from ServiceNow, the AI platform for business transformation. You've heard the hype around AI. The truth is, AI is only as powerful as the platform it's built into. ServiceNow is the platform that puts AI to work for people across your business, removing friction and frustration for your employees, supercharging productivity for your developers, providing intelligent tools for your service agents to make customers happier, all built into a single platform you can use right now. That's why the world works with ServiceNow. Visit servicenow.com slash AI for people to learn more. You talk in the show about hating or realizing that you hated you had combined your childhood dream stand up yeah. on TV with the worst thing that happened to you. Yeah. How do you in in the in the light of that? And we talked about the context of Apollo, but let's leave let's leave Apollo to one side. In the context of writing an hour show, how do you know you can make it funny? And were there bits that you couldn't make funny? Because we're dealing with this really difficult issue of mm. how to make your reaction to your experience of child sexual abuse funny and that that's the sort of thing if you saw that on paper you'd be like well that won't work <laughs> do you know what I mean like when yeah, did you yeah. first realize it it could work or elements of it or there are what decisions did you have to make in the kind of the the um what decisions what decisions were you making like were you trying things and going oh I'll never try that again or were you confident that everything you were saying was the right thing to say I guess I was really stuck. So, the, so, the, so to go back, the year before I did a show, which I can't remember the name of, that was dog shit. It was called like... <laughs> the ultimate insult. I cannot remember the name of like that show. It was, a, it was a really shit show. And it was because I was trying to talk about the fact that I was 25 living in a squat, hadn't had sex, uh, without giving any context as to why. And so, because I, I, you know, I have to write personally all that. And... Uh, and I wasn't the context was missing, and so I just fell on a sort of contrived idea of white middle class man who's a bit bad with women, being the why I can't live my life in a way that uh, seems to makes it function. And it was dog shit, and I and I it was just and I sort of knew it was crap, and it was crap, and I. And then I just thought, if I, and again, it was a bit like, I was sort of thinking then maybe comedy isn't for me. And then I was like, well, this is the context. And very quickly, it was, I was able to make it funny. I think partly because it was honest. Uh, and 
awesome because there was a lot of tension in the room so it's very easy to pop that i mean that's what people don't realize it's really easy if you're talking about child sexual abuse to some extent because there's tension in the room so people and what people want to relieve that tension so just from purely technical level mm-hmm. it's quite actually an easy thing to talk about comedy if you know in a way and also i think what is interesting about talking about this topic is, is you always what i always think is you normally feel something or think something that is not what people would imagine you think in that situation so often it's not like you're not writing a joke you're just telling the audience this happened to me and I felt like this and there's a juxtaposition there between how they imagined it was and how it was and that's the space through which you just write your jokes so it's like so it is that thing of me just going this is how it felt when this happened and the audience go that's unexpected and then you've got your your joke really if that makes sense yes Yes, that does seem very simple when you put it. (laughs) (laughs) That's all we've got time for. (laughs) When did you become aware that how you felt was different from how people expected you to feel? Like, when did you become aware that that was a thing? Well, I think that's almost a universal thing. I guess I always feel like we have these cliches and these uh, shorthand assumptions about how you feel. And actually, if you feel an emotion in a moment, you're almost there's almost always loads of shit going on that isn't how you'd imagine you'd feel in that situation. Yes. Does that make sense? The idea. So, yes. like, so if you just if you just go, what was the feeling? And then you go, oh, I felt happy for some reason when my mum died. My mum's not dead, so I'm not saying that. But you know, yeah, what I mean? sure, but, like, sure. but like, you know, you, you you we have this idea that all you feel is sad, or, or when this happens, all you feel is this. And actually, life's so much more rich than that that there'll always be a mad jungle of emotions and if you just start picking the ones that people wouldn't expect in that situation then you've got yourself a lot of humor i think that's really that's a that's a gold dust soundbite mate that's really good (laughs) that that reminds me of um it reminds me in a funny way of like stephen king i'm a huge stephen king fan and one of the things he's really good at doing is like there's a murderer in the house but your eye is caught by a jar of peanut butter that you bought ages yeah. ago. Yeah, Do you know yeah, I mean? yeah. it's, it's that kind of thing. So oh, is that... that's what life is, isn't it? Yeah, yes. So you would need pretty rigorous kind of honesty, though, I guess. And I, and I, I think of it like life drawing. Do you know what I mean? Like an inexperienced sketch artist will draw what they think a hand is. Yeah, rather yeah, than yeah. drawing what's actually there. So yeah. it's about this the skill. I mean, the, the skill element is presumably to do with the honesty, the memory and the kind of the the rigor to kind of go not the, or the, and the choice isn't it it's the it's the it's the, having the memory in the first place a, an event happened any event happened yeah yeah i remember how i felt i remember several things i felt so you've got to remember them you've got to be honest about them because maybe one of them your 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 mum fictionally dies yeah, and you yeah. need to be honest enough to go Actually, I was quite happy at the time because yeah, I, yeah, I just, yeah. won, you know, I just won ten pounds on the premium yeah, pods. Yeah, yeah, do you know yeah. what I mean? And I thought this is going to ruin my morning. Um, and then, and it's also the selection of the right bit because there is a multiplicity of emotions that you feel, some of which may be surprising. I'm just wondering whether this is whether what you said is kind of applicable to everything in comedy or everything in your comedy. I, I've never, I mean, I've never thought, it's that weird thing, isn't it, when you start talking about something, suddenly you throw an intellectual net over something you probably do uh, without thinking. That's um, my whole concept. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I guess I don't know. I mean, I will always, when I'm trying to write a bit, I will always think, what is the emotion? 
But I guess that's quite normal, presumably. But you go like, what actually, you know, like, like at the moment, I'm writing a bit about how I have two, I have avoidant me and, uh, yeah, avoidant daydreaming me and then hyper controlling me. And they hate each other. And it's like, and it's finding, and it's, so it's like, and finding all the ways they don't like each other. And, and, and it all, it stems from what is the emotion in the routine. But I think probably that's quite common for stand up. Yes, yes. I'm now sort of hungrily going, how can I apply this to this big fucking challenge that I've got with my show at the moment? And like, I've got a bit, I've got a bit about um, resenting people who are flying business class. Yeah. So that's kind of the, 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 the kind of the, the starting point of it. And it is part of why I think that's working in a sea of otherwise kind of quite difficult yeah, often yeah, yeah. didactic stuff that I'm trying to get across. Yeah. I think part of why it's working is there is a clear emotion. Like I'm obviously feeling resentful. That yeah. is relatable. Other people yeah, have yeah, resented yeah, yeah, yeah. walking past people in business class on a flight. Um I'm just wondering Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I'm trying to do two jobs here, which is interview you and fix my show <laughs> at the same time. <laughs> I'm interviewing you whilst trying to get you to secretly co-direct my show. <laughs> yeah. It occurred to me that before I give the description of this episode in the show night show notes, I will have to write content warning child sexual abuse. Yeah, yeah. Before I say Johnny Pelham is a comedian who yeah, is really, yeah, really yeah, great. Yeah. That must be a thing. Does that come up? Does that manifest in, in ways in your life? Do you not notice it? Well, I think that was one of the things that I, I hated after the Apollo was that that became yeah. my tag and uh, like I'd much rather not say that out of yeah. respect to that feeling, but yeah, I also yeah, yeah, have yeah. a responsibility to say that. And I guess what I think I know, uh, and I, it's interesting to say what I think I know rather than what I know, is uh, that I won't talk about this topic after this show. So I, I feel like I'm sort of, I feel like this show was about Apollo. And then I think I'm just going to turn right into the future a bit and not write about this. And I feel like that's sort of why I'm in my life now of like not, I've sort of cut me ass for therapy at the moment. But and- that, that sounds like in quite a satisfying way. You know, on the show, I'm forever saying people complete comedy rather than quitting. Yeah, yeah, And yeah. it's like, if you've completed therapy for now, then yeah. the shows have done their job. Well, I think that's what... Because I, I feel like... what How I feel at the moment about therapy is just there's so many different types of it. And I feel like I've done, I've done CBT, I've done EMDR and all this other shit. And none of them have ever done... I think I've always had this idea that there would be some sort of transformational change within me that would allow me to be this sort of present, non-daydreaming, connected human being who feels her emotions. And actually, I sort of think that probably is never going to be the case. And that's sort of fine. I just need to live in this. Do you know what I mean? Like just letting go of letting go of the idea of transformational change is something I've sort of recently just thought and just go like, this is who I am and let's try and live a good life from this foundation. Do you think your therapist would hear you saying that and go, my work here is done? <laughs> no, because all my... No. <laughs> all... It sounds to me like they should. <laughs> but I think what they th- what they would say is that I have PTSD or CPTSD and that I haven't integrated that trauma into my body and that that is still the case. Do you know what I mean? Like, I feel okay. like... Okay. So I feel like they would say there is, like, if you were... Like, I guess... I feel like I'm like a patient who's been diagnosed who's like, fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> and and what I don't know, and this is what I really don't know, is, is who's right in that. Or what even right me. But I just feel like right now, and in you know, two years I might be back in therapy, or you know, my next show might be why I should have never quit therapy. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> yeah, I was wondering if this show that you're doing now is uh, uh, Optimism Over Despair, if it's a huge success and Apollo come calling. <laughs> like, where does what position does that put you in? <laughs> well, I would do Apollo. That's the thing is, I would have loved, I l- wish I'd done Apollo with my club set. Yeah. That would have solved it, and it would have been a dream, and it would have been amazing. And was I that think- an option? Did they come and say, come and do that stuff? Or did they say, come and do whatever you want? You know what is, you know, I've got a really bad memory, and I just can't remember. And I and I, I I feel like that was one of the reasons I decided not to go down the line of making the show about the commercialization of trauma is because I just couldn't I couldn't remember that and that feels like such a key question yeah that I don't know and so it feels like I I don't yeah you know I mean and 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 so I I just don't know is the honest answer yeah um but I I mean I I think that's it is I, there would be something very healing maybe about doing Apollo and just doing jokes about whatever the hell I'm doing jokes about um, would actually be really lovely. Yeah, yeah. I, I um, not to disagree with you, but what that makes me think is this. I, well, I think maybe I'm watching too much comedy. <laughs> I, think I think I'm overexposing myself to stand up. But I do. I keep having this thought of like, were I not to do the climate? Like one of the options for me is like, just do, just, just, just do the next load of jokes, and mm. maybe this is symptomatic of the kind of Instagram phenomenon of like you put the clips up and then the clips are out there it's making me feel like it's all arbitrary it's Mm. making me feel like oh what am I going to do next I'll do jokes about windows then I'll do jokes about candles and then it's just like creating content it just starts to feel a bit sort of thin even if it's your best bit you're like well I've done loads of my best bits yeah what I'm gonna? What am I gonna do? Just more. What am I gonna do? Just keep living my life. Yeah. <laughs> Just keep being alive and then die. What's the point? Do you know what I mean? No, I really get that. I mean, I think that's really strong in me. Like, if I don't, if I don't feel like I'm writing a show for a reason, I, 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 like one of my big worries is that I'm not a very good comedian, and I, I, I understand that probably sounds overly self-deprecating. But what I mean by that is, like, in the show where, like, the twenty, the shit show where I, I wasn't talking about the abuse, I was just talking about nothing that wasn't technically like it wasn't a good show it wasn't like i didn't think it was a good show it just it, it, it was underran the jokes were bad so it wasn't like I, I don't know if i'm technically a good comic in that some comics could be like, i'm not really feeling it this year but i'm gonna be a churn out a great hour of stand-up yeah it, sure i don't know if that's who i am as a yes. comic or whether i'm yes. just like actually i can't do that yeah. and and i think what i what was nice is when i was thinking about not doing comedy is I just thought that would be fine if I'm not a comic. You know, like, like I think it's plausible that in four years I think, oh, I can't be asking comedy anymore. Mm. And I feel I'd be fine with that. Like, I don't feel like I would have any great existential regret or despair if it wasn't for me. What would you do instead out of interest? Well, I think I'd be a therapist, but I'd have to wipe a lot of shit off the internet. <laughs> <laughs> You're not off total, you won't. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think I'd have to change my name. Like, I would have to change. I couldn't do it under the same name. And to become a therapist, to train as a therapist, you would need to go back into therapy, wouldn't you? I think that's part yeah, of the process. Probably, yeah, probably, yeah. Fuck off, God. cycle. Of Maybe I'd be a life coach. That feels a lot less vigorous somehow. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. That's interesting. The, the point at which... I think that's a big that's a big metric through which you can slice all comics in half. If you had to stop comedy, or if you if one did stop comedy, would one still retain the same identity, or is comedy so bound up in one's personality that the idea is kind of unthinkable? And mm. which of those is healthy? <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like I certainly have felt very very close to it. There was yeah. a moment. There was a. I think I may have mentioned this on the show before, and it, it, this is. Um, 
with all due respect and apologies to people who have come off worse in this situation. But a, a few years ago, I had a lump on my tongue and it turned mm. out to be nothing. I had it removed. It was fine. But there was a, a week or two when I thought maybe I had tongue cancer. Yeah. And maybe like, you know, as a, like everything I do is based on talking. Yeah, yeah, And yeah. I can't deny that there was a certain feeling of oh <laughs> you know like relief oh imagine if this decision was taken out of my yeah. hands yeah, yeah 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 i just couldn't do all of the stuff and i i say that with you know like we we're saying before about say the unexpected truth yeah about that's a thing. what i was just thinking that's and, exactly it isn't it yeah and and because i then went on not to have tongue cancer and some people do and i want to be respectful to that yeah. rather than just glibly well you know <laughs> um but but the truth, the honesty of the situation is I did feel some relief, some mm. idea that everything to which I've worked since I was 16, so for the last nearly 30 years, it's yeah. all been blah, blah, blah. It's all been yap, yap, yap. And yeah. if that were taken away from me, what else would leave me yeah. as well as that? Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, it, yeah. Oh, comedy, it's not an option anymore. Would I think to myself, well, I'll write scripts. Probably no, almost yeah. certainly no. Maybe I would. Maybe I, you know, maybe I'd be a brickie for ten years, and they go, oh, "I've got a novel in me." Yeah. Who, who <laughs> fucking knows? But, um, but yes, the idea of like the kind of the giving up of that, or the taking away of it, and the seeing as we've all anyone who spent any time on the comedy circuit or listening to this fucking podcast will know the idea of just let go of all of it. You know, play, be a guitarist. You've spent your whole life being a guitarist and then you get your hands cut off in a freak boating accident. Yeah. What yeah. are you now? Yeah. Well, th I mean, that's like, that because I've done it since I was like 18 and luckily I've never really had a proper job because I like, at 21, I did all right in the competitions and then I was just living on beans and whatever. So I was just able to, so I've never had a proper job. And so I, so I, and that was, and, and so I think it was literally, I remember talking to my partner about him being like, I think I'm going to write this show. And if this show is crap or if I don't like doing it or whatever, then I think it's just, it, I'm going to just not do it. And it was because I think I've been doing it badly without being able to write new jokes and thinking that I had to keep doing it for some weird reason that was inexplicable. And actually, like when the lock, you know, I think you're right, when lockdown happened and some comments like, God, I miss stand-up so much. I couldn't... I just thought, I don't need this. <laughs> yeah. Like, I didn't have that, like, oh, my God, I have to be on stage. But I'm really loving... I'm loving writing this show. Do you know what I mean? Like, I am really... And I feel like I've got a... I'm waking up and I've got an idea of what I want to do and then I'm trying it and it's... Like, I feel like I'm... It's an enjoyable process. It's stressful. And there's times where I'm like, everything I've ever thought is garbage. But... On the whole, it's an enjoyable experience at the moment. Mm -hmm. When you have those moments of everything I've ever thought is garbage, yeah. how do you get yourself out of it? Do you have any kind of like hands-on technique for, oh, I'm thinking that again, let's fix it by doing X, Y, Z? Or do you have to wait it out? Or like, what are you thinking? What are, what are the ways in which you attack yourself? And what are the solutions to those? Well... The way so the, the issue for me is I always I, I always know I am struggling with something if I'm disassociating a lot. Mm. So that's how I go. All right, yeah, I'm clearly feeling a bit weird. It's been a three squirrel day. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Something. So I always have to like send. So I, I I sort of I journal and I meditate as much as I can. I need things that like hook me into the world. So that's all. All, all I'm trying to do is like 
get as many much and I tap a lot you know, like uh, to try and like center myself and all that shit so you what you you tap I tap it's like a I can't remember what type of thing but you sort of tap your wrist or just grounding techniques basically yeah okay gotcha just to bring I'm, I'm back in the world um and so and then I mean it, literally it's normally just doing something practical like I just did a preview at the stand Glasgow which was really hard and I started, because one of the things about this show is, I, this show is a lot less optimistic than my last show, in that my last show was like, this happened to me, but I'm fine now. And it began, began by saying, last three years, I've fallen in love, blah, blah, blah. So even though the topic was dark, the show was very much me going, and I have resolved it. Yeah. And this show is a lot more me going, I made a mistake, and I felt bad. And that's sort of the middle of the show, is like me being like, ah... And the audience really withdrew from that uh, in Glasgow. And I was thinking, like, shit, is this show fundamentally... The fundamental flaw that I thought was in the show, which I don't think is in that in there now, but it still could be, is that I don't want to tell the audience I'm fine because I think that is a lie. But the audience need to know that I'm fine so that they can laugh. Yeah. So it's a real contradiction. And I was thinking, like, I think maybe this flaw show is just a bit fucked from the from the ground up (laughs) 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 and then i just listened back and i just thought i just need to put my jokes in it you know what i mean like that like it just needs to be funnier and then they'll it'll be fine so it was like that was the thinking i just listened back and went oh yeah there's too many times where i'm waffling over what i'm saying and if i just need to cut out a bit of waffling and fuck 10 jokes it's so funny isn't it just saying something with confidence yeah, yeah, can yeah. solve half the battle. It can just make a, a thing that you think is funny and that you're slightly apologising for it in the delivery. Yeah. If you say it with, if it works brilliantly twice, yeah. and you say it great the next time, suddenly you fix the joke. And particularly, I think when you're talking about stuff which will make the audience feel uncomfortable potentially, is so much of it is. So I think I'm saying, this is what I figured out. I think this is. I've never thought it until just a second, but I think this is true. Is I have to say it. I have to deliver the show so I'm fine. And then I can say yeah. I'm not fine, but I'm actually reassuring the audience through my being and my way of speaking that I am fine, if that yes. makes sense. Yes. So yes. so I can't... And whereas when you're doing a preview, you're sort of a bit scatty, a bit all over the place. You can't and, remember it. You're not yeah. sure if you, you've made some changes and you can't remember what they are and yeah, stuff like yeah. that. Yeah, and yeah, so yeah, you're yeah. projecting this idea that you're fucked and then you're like, I'm fucked. And then it's like, <laughs> yeah, we, we can tell that, mate. <laughs> So we paid 14 quid for this. <laughs> I, stayed, I did a preview in uh, Banbury at the weekend and uh, there's a small room and a small number of people in it. And I said something, what was the, I, I kind of, uh, part of the setup of the show is I don't really know what I am anymore. I used mm. to be a comedian. I was very much on a track of being a comic. And now I've got this big sort of portfolio of different weird things that I do yeah, as yeah. well. And I'm really happy and I really like it and I've completed therapy and I've, you know, all the rest of it. Yeah, yeah. And then five minutes later, I'm talking about, you know, every morning when I'm mid urinating, <laughs> I just pronounce that weirdly. I'm mid urinating. See, great example. Don't know the stuff well enough. Mid urinating. And, uh, and, and I start panicking about the climate crisis and someone heckled absolutely reasonably. Sounds like you need to go back to therapy. And I was just like, oh man, yes, I know it does, but I don't because I'm fine. But the show's about the fact I'm not fine and it's not fine and you shouldn't yeah. be fine. Why are you all fine? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. This is an unwinnable interaction. You know? And are you struggling with that in your work? Because that's what I realise is that actually the show has to, there has to be uncertainty in 
for me, there has to be that sense of me struggling with this issue still and not having resolved it. And for you, obviously, the, gl- the climate change isn't resolved. So are you struggling with the same thing of audiences not knowing whether they can laugh about it? Yeah, I think so. I think one of my one of the things I'm trying to do is I've done a lot of research into ways to think about the climate crisis in a yeah. way that helps you be active and engaged and powerful and capable of taking action, whether that's recycling or writing letters or changing your life or helping encourage other people to change their lives, not in an annoying way. All yeah, of those yeah. positive things you can do to get to that point. You first need to stop being paralyzed with fear. Yeah. And some of the things that have helped me stop being paralysed with fear have been certain, you know, someone mentioned a thing in a lecture or someone's written a book about this concept or such and yeah. such says this. And so part of what I want to do is simply say to people, I learned this, this, this person thinks about it with this clever sentence that they write and that I'm yeah. crediting them. And here's a joke on the end of it. And good, yeah. now I've got an excuse to say that thing. Yeah, 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 yeah. But even that feels too didactic. It feels more like... I need to start going, okay, I've read those things. Yeah. I feel those things now. And because yeah. I've felt those things, I can write some upbeat comedy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's really interesting, isn't it? Because it is, it's, it is, I mean, Optimism Over Despair sounds like it would be a better title for your show than mine. Yeah. And it feels <laughs> yeah, really exactly. fitting. <laughs> get, me, get me in through the door a bit more. But at the time, at certainly the time of deciding your title, I hadn't committed to that this was going to be optimistic. And yes, I still so. haven't yeah, committed yeah. to it. I mean, I don't want to go there and do it. What's the point of doing a depressing comedy show? That's just yeah. like you disappear down the plug hole. But, but you know, you've got to, I've got to resolve for myself, is it, is it worth being optimistic? Part of me just wants to go, we should all be fucking terrified. Maybe that will motivate us to action. Yeah, that doesn't, yeah, that yeah, doesn't yeah. work. But nor should I go, don't worry, it's all going to be okay. Because yeah. unless we make significant action, it isn't all going to be okay. Yeah. Well, it sounds like I look forward to seeing it in Edinburgh. <laughs> <laughs> Comics coming to see the show. That's buzz. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, you know, but I, I, as you say, in, to bring it back to what you, what you were saying about even if you're not OK for this show, you need to perform the show as if you're OK, because then they'll feel you're OK and they'll laugh. And then you can build up a certain amount of currency with that that relationship. Yeah with that specific room, whereby you can then say, I don't know if I'm okay about this. But if you can get to that with them having felt good about the journey. Yeah. And I think <laughs> and the twist at the end is, I'm not okay. <laughs> <laughs> hey, tricked you. <laughs> um, but I think, I guess what, I think what's also true is that I am, I, I, I want, I, I, I'm, I guess the sort of end is me saying I'm never, you know, I'm going to have to work harder than a lot of people with a lot of shit, but that doesn't, I'm still, I'm still not a, a danger to myself or, so, so it is, but it is, there isn't, isn't like I'm fucked, but I guess it is just that going, I think what I did last time, which was problematic for myself too, was to tell everyone very loudly and very clearly that I dealt with it. You know what I mean? And I think that was, and that was what, that was the mistake of performing the show was that I, because the topic was so vulnerable, I took any vulnerability out of myself and was like, now I'm fine. And I was like, what we need to do, guys, is we need to talk about it more and we need to blah, blah, blah. And I'll go on Apollo and it'll be helpful politically because this is a taboo topic. And so that was the, the lie I told myself was telling my story meant I had healed from it. And that's what I want to unpick this time and yeah. go, I'm still, like, I'm not going to, I'm still fine, 
but also it still does have a day-to-day impact and I don't that that is going to have an impact forever probably do you know what I mean if I release this clip on video, I will take out the bit where I pointed at you with both fingers <laughs> in celebration of me going, that's it. That's the thing. <laughs> that's the thing. Say that again. Tell me the thing again where I pointed at you. You said a particular I thing. Remember. <laughs> I can't remember either. I think I said something like telling my story. The lie that you told yourself was yeah, that yeah. you had healed. That was the thing. Yeah. That's why you didn't enjoy the Apollo experience. Because, yeah, exactly. because you were within the context of seven minutes, you had to sell the idea that, hey, this is a good idea for me to talk about because I've healed. Yeah, and you yeah. knew you hadn't healed. But yeah. nor could you have gone on the Apollo and say and been honest and say, here's some jokes. Oh, and by the way, I haven't healed. But I only realised I hadn't healed after Apollo came out. You know what I mean? Because I was still in the... Sh- and, and, and oh, yeah, sure. I, yeah. I understand that when you yeah, say yeah. the lie, you tell yourself. I'm, yeah, I'm yeah. not like... Yeah, I hear that. <laughs> yeah. I was like, hey. <laughs> <laughs> Johnny Pell, a bullshit artist. <laughs> yeah. But that's exactly it. And that's what this show is. That, that show is that the... The, the figuring that out, I think, um, yeah. which is not, and, and so I am, and, and had I not written this show, I might never have figured that out because I just wouldn't have ever thought about it in enough detail. What individual joke of yours are you most proud of? Um, and this is this is inviting you to take a little tube and blow some smoke up your own ass here. So, which I recognise is <laughs> <laughs> is a hard a hard ass. But which, like, which is like the either the the payoff, the reaction, or the the confluence of words, or the right word choice, or something. You know, it probably is, uh, and it's it's about paedophilia. I'm sorry, Stu. <laughs> <laughs> I'll decide if I can put it on. <laughs> but it's a joke. It, it's definitely fine to use that. It's a joke about how my parents used to treat non-offending paedophiles, and uh, I was angry with them. And then my mum said, "No one chooses to be attracted like in the same way you don't choose to be attracted to straight people, or you know, you choose to be straight or choose to be gay. No one chooses to be attracted to kids," which I think is a lovely message to tell the audience and i can do this in clubs you know what i mean mm-hmm. and then the punchline is the problem with that was it meant that i was really worried i might go to be a paedophile uh this was fine until i was at a house party a girl was talking about a fear of spiders i said i'm really worried i might be a paedophile so <laughs> it always really lands and it's like and it's also a really i think good point do you know what i mean <laughs> yeah 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 okay yeah right that's a good that's a good um it works in clubs it's a good point it's reliable and it's and the audience are so freaked out yeah <laughs> <laughs> well that that must be that relationship that tension between you and them and you're like you were saying when you're on that subject matter there is inherently a tension in the room and you are yeah. inherently the master of that tension because it's your story to own and you know as well as as well yeah. as you've written a bunch of great jokes about it unless there's a stag doing or something and then i'm quickly not the master ah, <laughs> well, I'm I, was go- panicked. <laughs> I was going to ask do you do you drop bits do you make instant choices about the suitability of the stuff or not in I club environments i don't do this stuff in clubs uh ever really because yeah. it just makes audiences feel too uncomfortable and isn't fair to them or to me, and it just isn't the right context. It's a bit like Live at the Apollo. It just isn't the right context of that stuff, you know, because they're just shit-faced and you're like, sure. you just... So I, I just never do it because I just don't think it would work. So when you do your club set, yeah. is that stuff from a long time ago? Or is it at the, stuff... At the moment, it isn't. That's, what I, that's why I think... I, that's one of the big reasons I was thinking about quitting comedy is because mm. I, 
and I sort of, I, I am, I'm writing, I'm writing other scripts, and I really like writing scripts, and I'm writing the short, and so it just never, I probably could, maybe I couldn't, but I probably could write bits that would work in clubs, but it doesn't hold any appeal to me, really, and so I, I guess it's sort of like, and my twenty works well enough mm-hmm. that. And I normally get, like, from my 2019 show, I probably got, like, five or ten minutes of stuff I can put in. Okay. And I'll probably... I might get a bit more from this show because there's a, a longer bit about me being fine, which is all stuff that could almost certainly just go into a... a, a club. But it certainly is, like... It's certainly my least creative space is, like, Friday, Saturday comedy clubs. Yeah, that's interesting. And as a result, you're not that excited by it and not that yeah. inclined to... And I think it. that's it. It's like I, I just, and maybe I could try, but and I think that's the question. After this show, I think I still need to figure out like what actually am I, and what will my next show be, and you know. So that's still a question that remains unresolved in me. What are you like at Edinburgh? Like during the festival, do you look after yourself? Do you? What do you do? Who do you? I turn used to? to get really. I used to love to like drink and party and have fun. And I think I probably won't do that anymore. Like, I just feel like I'll probably get, like, a Nintendo Switch or play Football Manager. Do you know what I mean? Like, I feel like that'll be... I'll just do the show and then wander home and get into a video game or something like that. Mm. But I say that now, Stu, and then come, like, the 8th of August. I'll I'll step over you and... (laughs) (laughs) Beautiful. Thanks, mate. I haven't asked you if you're happy. Are you happy? Um, I guess so. I mean... Yeah, let's say yeah. It's easy, isn't it? (laughs) So that was Johnny. Don't miss Johnny Pelham's show, Optimism Over Despair. It's on every night in the Pleasance Courtyard. Um, You can find links in the show notes. You go to johnnypelham.com or follow him on Twitter or Instagram at johnny underscore pelham, no H in Johnny. So... That's that. Thank you to Johnny for coming on. Thank you um, to producer Nathan. Thank you very much to Susie for doing the uh, the logging for this episode. Lots of love to Moz. The music was by Rob Smouten and I remain Stuart Goldsmith. I will post Amble at you in just a sec. But um, do remember Johnny's show, Optimism Over Despair. And my own show is Spoilers. And you can go to comedianscomedian.com slash insiders for every episode supporting the show, being part of the community, all of that kind of business. But crucially, 20 excellent extra minutes with Johnny. Thank you very much. Post-amble approaching. Goodbye for now. Oh, and um, I'm pleased to report Lucy Beaumont now that episode is okayed and it's all good. And I think it's coming out next. I was going to put it out before this one, but um, she doesn't have an Edinburgh show. Johnny does. So let's get that out there now. Um, Lots more good stuff coming your way soon. Goodbye. Oh, my God. I have spent the last two weeks thinking of things that I should say in a postamble, and now they all elude me. I'm so pleased the show is cooking. I'm so pleased. Talk about the nick of time. I don't know. Have I, of all of my postambles in the last year, just been me going, God, the show's not working. Oh, a bit worked. Oh, it's not working. Oh, a bit worked. Um, I, they have, haven't they? Sorry. <laughs> I, uh, my latest thing after a preview I did at the Comedy Box in Bristol my dear friend Andre and also the uh, my frequent photographer um, he took the, the spoilers image of my face emerging from the water that everyone looks at and goes how did you do that and then t- tilts their head 90 degrees and goes oh yeah like that um, I, 90 is pushing it 45 tops 
Um, Andre came to see the show and then the next day he rang me and said, oh, I've got, we've got to have a chat. I've got some really positive feedback. I was on quite late, so he bailed straight away afterwards. Um, the better to mince his words. <laughs> the, um, uh, yeah, I can't talk now. I'll give you my opinion tomorrow. They were very positive, nonetheless. Um, and uh, something he said, he, he sort of later clarified, but something he said was, yeah, it's uh, it's not as challenging as I thought. And I immediately went, oh, God, it's not challenging enough. What it turned out he meant was he the way I talked about it, he'd been concerned it might be like a funny TED talk. And it absolutely isn't. It is pound for pound. Probably. I think it's my funniest show. I think there are I think there's as many punchlines per minute as I've ever had possibly more. He said there was probably 50% more words in it, which sounds mad, but I don't think it's that. I don't feel like I'm rushing to get through it all. But it's just, oh my God, for all the stress of all of the, the previous months of like, God, can I do this? Can I make it funny? To now be at the finishing touches stage. I imagine those people who paint lead figures of space marines and so on, <laughs> by, by my expert knowledge of I revealed. I mean, me when I was a teenager. But the moment when you've nearly done it and you're just putting the finishing touches to any project, it's just so satisfying. Imagine, you know, you see these people online who've like used up six biros drawing a picture of an elephant and it's perfectly photorealistic. But eventually you just, that's the last, it's taken months and then the last, oh, just do that, just do that, just do that. Although I suppose in that situation, there is the risk that you fuck it up and you kind of draw, oh, I've got across the eyeball with me, with me biro. I don't feel that's possible with comedy. Wouldn't that be nice to realise? I'm... I'm so enjoying making little tiny choices, choices about the music when the audience come in, choices about little reference points in the show, which were placeholders and then became funny. And now I'm like, that doesn't need to be a placeholder anymore. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. It is funny. Could it be funnier? Tweaking and, and twiddling all the bits. It's so satisfying. I don't know if I'm writing a whole new show next year. And in, in many ways, for a year, I've been thinking, God, I'm not writing another show next year. And now I'm in this giddy bit that I'll probably listen back to and think, jump, where I'm thinking, God, I love it. Oh, man, I hope you're in. If you're writing or making something for this one or just at the moment, I hope you're in a good place with it. Ah, the children have come home. This has disturbed my reverie and not before time. My point is we're good to go. We're good to go. I'm going to try and whack out the uh, Lucy Beaumont uh, episode and also there's a couple of others. Jeff Shaw, I will probably, it's a, it's a good one, but I'll probably wait till after summer because he doesn't have anything to plug in Edinburgh. Um, and we have Nish Kumar returning to the show, which is going to come out early August. Other than that, um, I'm, oh, here's an idea. What I may do is whilst I'm at, hi, whilst I'm at uh, the festival, I thought I might do some little catch up chats with previous guests, with people where I don't have to necessarily take on loads of research. I can just... Hang on. Let's leave all this in, Nathan. I'll just get on with it. <laughs> I'll be with you in two minutes. Um, uh, just have some little sort of sessions of like micro returning uh, guests so I can get, for example, Sarah Barron. I always love talking to Sarah. And, and just have a little mini, like book a studio for 
three or four hours and get people to pop in for 20 minute moments and, and tell me how they're doing. I should do that. Let's do that. Right. I'm going to stop talking to you and I'm going to start organising that. Um, I hope you're having a, a wonderful summer, despite everything. And uh, yeah, <laughs> keep supporting live comedy. Bye. <laughs>